0: good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Eric O'Connell. I'm the high school youth director here at Hillside. Uh, This morning is one of the handful of opportunities during the year uh, that I get to preach. And as usual, I'm honored to open God's word with you all and discover its truth this morning. Uh, You guys have been such an encouraging and welcoming congregation uh, that I very much look forward to these opportunities to get to come preach. So thank you for being so welcoming. Thank you for being encouraging. Uh, This morning, we're going to be continuing on our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We've been joining with the disciples of Jesus These last couple weeks and asking, uh, teach us to pray. And if you're like me, sometimes you don't know what to pray for uh, and you find yourself in good company because it's exactly what the disciples did. And what we've been doing is we've been going over the Lord's Prayer with one another, line by line, step by step, trying to figure out how not to pray methodically or strategically. uh, But we've been studying the Lord's Prayer because we want to have the heart that God desires us to have while in prayer. Uh, We want to get as close to the heart of Jesus as we can. And we started with the approach. Uh, God is a father, and when we're confident about that characteristic of his identity, uh, we approach prayer in a completely different fashion, not in a business relationship, but uh, we come to God as as an unconditional, loving father, uh, and that's a much better attitude to have as we approach. Uh, Then we move to the three sections that have to deal exclusively with the father, the three petitions. We said, hallowed be your name, your name, God, you be the center of my life. Then we said, your kingdom come here on earth because it's the best kingdom." said your will be done because your ways and your decisions are what's best Uh, and these statements this first half of the prayer basically what it does is it puts us in the mindset that Jesus desires us to be in when he promises us in scripture uh, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it and too often we like to pray in our own name but when we when we focus on this first half of the prayer these first petitions uh, we we tend to focus more on God, and we, we pray in his name more often when we say these things. The first half of the prayer is essentially a proclamation that what we need most is you, God. And then last week, we made the transition into the petitions, uh, which should teach us something very important about prayer. When, when the disciples came to Jesus and did teach us to pray, Jesus' own model was first and foremost, affirm that God is a loving Father that wants to do good things for you. And then... Praise his name and acknowledge his greatness. Then and only then can we go to him and ask for him for things. Okay. Now, the first petition was give us this day our daily bread. God, give us what we need, not necessarily our greed. And this week, we're going to enter into the second petition. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, before we dive into it, it's important for us to notice that of all the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, this is the only petition that has a condition that's prerequisite to it being fulfilled meaning that it assumes we've done something in our asking of it. Uh, and it even has two full verses after the Lord's prayers to complete uh, to define what's at stake. It's, it's as if Jesus is saying, just in case you missed that important part on forgiveness, uh, here's a cou- Here's another reminder of just how important this bit is. Matthew six fourteen through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And those can be some strong and potentially scary words when we first glance at them. But we're going to come back to those. But what I want to suggest right off the bat, and we're going to return to this throughout our time together this morning, is that this petition, it presents us with a choice. And that choice is we get to choose the universe that we live in. Okay? We get to choose our universe. We either get to choose a universe of grace or we get to choose a universe of law. Okay, we choose the universe we live in and we're going to come back to that. But let's we need to remember that um, whatever whatever universe we choose to live in that's what we're going to get back. Uh, One other thing to take notice of before we break down this petition is the order of uh, in the prayer. This prayer comes directly after the petition for our daily bread. And theologian Dale Bruner suggests that this should give us some insight into what our two greatest needs are from God. Dale Bruner says that when we pray this, when we say, give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts, what we're ultimately saying is, God, please give us food so that we may stand up. But please give us forgiveness so that we may stand up straight. He goes on to say that food is a human being's priority need, but forgiveness is a human's profoundest need. Uh, This need and this practice of forgiveness is so important for us. It's as important as our need for daily food, for our daily bread. We need forgiveness. Since we need it so badly, uh, let's take a look at this petition. Let's break down what it means. Okay, so we're going to do the same thing we've been doing. We're going to ask first, what are we asking for? And then we're going to talk about why we need to pray this. So what are we asking for? First and foremost, we're asking for forgiveness. Okay, now we're going to spend a, a quite a bit of time here. An interesting thing to note about forgiveness is that it's one of the most difficult words to translate in other languages. Okay, languages that have a particularly hard time in translating forgiveness with just one word, they tend to use phrases or idioms, uh, and they'll say it's it's equivalent to forgetting the wrong, no longer seeing the wrong, uh, putting the wrong behind one's back, or lifting the wrong from between us. And I think these definitions may give us a very basic and rudimentary understanding of forgiveness, but forgiveness is so much more, it's so much more deep. And Tim Keller who's another theologian. He writes that certain cultures throughout the history of Christianity have taken almost an a la carte approach. Meaning that you know we, we take the, the burger and the fries but we leave the drink. Uh, we like to pick and choose. And he says that in more individualistic cultures, uh, the ones where the focus is more on the person not the group, um, those cultures love the Bible's emphasis on affirming one another and bearing one another's burdens. They love that stuff. But they despise the idea of accountability and discipline. They shy away from it. While uh, Christians in more traditional communal cultures, uh, when we're, where the emphasis is more on the group than the individual, they love the emphasis on accountability uh, for morals and beliefs, but often shy away from things like racial reconciliation and being open about one's personal hurts or financial needs. And what's interesting to note, Tim Keller says, is that no matter what culture you've ever found yourself in, Okay, individualistic group, whatever. No culture in the history of humankind has ever said that forgiveness is what we're all about. The biblical teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation, it's so radical, it's so counter-human that no cultures or societies are in accord with it. It's not one culture's primary value. All right, so so we're going to talk about what forgiveness is, but in order to understand what forgiveness is, we have to understand what it's not. Um, Forgiveness, first and foremost, is not forgetting. Okay? As I was preparing this week, I read an illustration by an unknown author that read this. A little boy being asked what forgiveness is gave the beautiful answer. It is the odor that flowers breathe when they are trampled on. You see, when we ask for or are in need of forgiveness, we need to recognize that we're dealing with flowers that have been trampled on. We... We might be able to emit the odor of forgiveness. uh, People might be able to notice it when they see us. But it doesn't change the fact that something has been trampled. Something has been broken. Something is now in need of repair. And I think that we've often been told a lie that forgiving is forgetting. But if we're being honest, we never forget. Words hurt us. Actions hurt us. God might be able to forget, but we can't. So let's not lie to ourselves. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not tolerating. Uh, N.T. Wright calls tolerance the low-grade parody of forgiveness. It's, it's ultimately a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. And especially in our culture today, where the judgment of a sin is oftentimes worse than the sin itself, we're prone to tolerating versus forgiving. Okay, But to truly forgive someone, it's not just to simply put up with their actions. There's a much bigger cost that comes with it. Forgiveness is also not excusing. And as I was speaking to Ron this week, one thing he said was, uh, we need to figure out when we're saying forgive me, we need to figure out are we asking to be forgiven or to be excused. And the the primary difference between being forgiven and excused is when we say please excuse me, we're saying please understand why I did what I did. Uh, For instance, when I get in an argument with my parents or my wife, and when i have an outburst which uh, which i know i'm the only person here that does that so this is just for myself uh, but my tendency is is to go and ask them t- to d- to be excused you know i i'll come to my wife and say you know uh, the work today was just so difficult i had this situation as i was coming home this this guy he cut me off and uh, you know I, I got home and all i wanted to do was just sit down but there are all these chores you know i didn't get that much sleep this week it w- w- you you understand right you understand why i did what i did and, and that's being asked to be excused, not forgiven. Ultimately, when we ask for forgiveness, what we're saying is, please forgive me, even though you can't understand why I did what I did, and I can't explain it. Forgiveness is letting go of a debt, even when we can't understand why we should. Uh, forgiveness is also not renewing trust. And again, sometimes we unfortunately buy this lie that to forgive someone means that we have to completely start over and just trust them completely. But just because you say forgive you doesn't mean you say I trust you. In fact, forgiveness is ultimately a willingness to try and reestablish trust. But that reestablishment takes a long time. It's a process. It's not an overnight thing. And I would even go a step further and suggest that to immediately reestablish trust when we forgive a person uh, their sinful habits or, or when we gain trust after we've been forgiven it could ultimately be a way of enabling further sinful behavior and to further illustrate this uh, when I was a young kid I, I knew that it, when I messed up and when I did something stupid because I was a, a, a high school boy and again I know I'm the only person that ever made a mistake when I was a high school boy but when I w- did something wrong and my mom would ground me and say that's it you're, you're losing this you're and that you're coming home you're going to school blah 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 I would do what I needed to do, I would gain a little bit of trust, and then it was all was uh, forgiven. A- and I knew that I was never really going to get in trouble. A- and so her, tr- her immediate trust put back into me further enabled my, my teenage boy behavior. Okay, so t- if we forgive someone, doesn't necessarily mean we just trust them completely again. Forgiveness is also not one way. This peti- this, petition, uh, this petition teaches us that forgiveness can't just be received. We can't just accept God's forgiveness and then not give it back to those who need it. It doesn't work that way. This isn't a, a buffet. You don't just get to grab your table, scoop your plate up, and then eat all you want. It's a potluck. You have, to, you have to bring something. You have to contribute if you want to eat. To hoard and to receive and only receive forgiveness, it's to reject the very kingdom we just asked God to bring on earth and to reject the will he has for our lives that we just prayed for a couple seconds ago. We either reject the forgiveness of God and reject it to others, or we receive it and give it freely. It is a swinging door, not a one-way door. Okay. And lastly, forgiveness isn't easy. Let's not pretend that this is something that's easy for us to do. It's very, very difficult. Alright, so we've talked about what forgiveness is not. Let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, first and foremost, above all else, is undeserved. When it's all said and done, forgiveness is something that is flat-out illogical. There's absolutely no immediately positive or visible benefit for the one that's giving the forgiveness. Okay, we don't deserve forgiveness, yet it is one of our basic needs in our relationship with God and with others. We deserve death. We deserve to be judged by the law. Yet God, who's full of grace, does not give us the very thing that we deserve, but chooses to pardon our wrongdoings. And this is an action that he calls forgiveness. We don't deserve it. Forgiveness is undeserved. But above all, forgiveness is the clearing of a debt. Okay, And that's the second thing we're asking in this prayer. We're saying, God, forgive us our debts. Now, in rabbinic thought, every sin created a certain uh, deposit of debt before God. And, and you'll see up here um, the accumulation of of which it formed this kind of separating wall between the person and God. So what would happen is you would sin, and the wall would get a little bit bigger. And you see up there, you sin, and and, and the wall got a little bit bigger, and you sin some more, and the wall got big. Until ultimately, there was you can't see God. There's there's a huge separating wall between us and between God. And now, and the rabbis, what they believed was that the only way to, to see God, the only way to get back into relationship with God, was to... It was to do righteous deeds, and every righteous deed created sort of a bridge to get to God. Okay, and so what we have to realize is that when we ask God to forgive us our debts, what we're asking for him to do is this. We're asking for him to get rid of this whole process, get rid of the wall I've created, get rid of the bridge I need to do, and ultimately what we're asking for is this. God, bring us closer to you. And let's consider for a second just how scandalous— This request truly is, okay? Probably like most young people, and maybe some of you here this morning, uh, I owe the federal government thousands of dollars in student loans, okay? Now, I would never have the gall the confidence or the chutzpah, to approach the organization which which holds my loans and ask them, you know what, I know I racked all this up. I know this is my fault. I know that I'm the one that made the decision to do this, but please, you know, it would be just awesome. You know, it would be the bee's knees if you could just get rid of it. If we could just start over, and I promise next time we're going to do this better. I, I promise. No, that's not the way it works. A- and I would even go so far as to say is that if, if one of you in this room owed me $500 before you ever came to me and asked me if y- I could just forget about it, you would work, you would sell something, you would do everything humanly possible before you just came to me and said, Eric, will you just forgive the debt? But you see, to be able to ask our Father to simply forgive our debt, which is a much greater debt than my student loans, uh, it's a much greater debt than a $500. To ask God to just overlook our sins and our debt, it's breathtakingly scandalous. Okay, we're not asking for something small at all. Ultimately, what we're asking for is that God would suffer for us. That God would suffer. And to kind of make us understand this a little bit more, Tim Keller gives us another, uh, he deepens our understanding. He says that... um, when someone seriously wrongs you, there's this unavoidable sense that the wrongdoer now owes you, okay? So so someone does something to me, now they owe me. Th- th- this wrong, this the thing that this person has done, it's incurred this obligation, this liability, this debt. A- and anyone here who's felt like they've ever been uh, done wrong to, they feel this compulsion to make the person pay the debt, to pay for their wrongdoing. And typically we do that by hurting them, yelling at them, making them feel bad in some way. Uh, insulting them, or we just sit back, we wait, and we watch, and we hope that something bad happens to them, and and only when something bad enough has happened to them in a way that's satisfactory to our liking do we sense that the debt is paid and they no longer owe us. So we all feel this way sometimes. So in light of this, what then is forgiveness? Well, Tim Keller likes to say that forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who has harmed you. But it has to be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. But so what does that mean? Let's let's think about a very simple illustration. Uh, if, if a friend comes over to my house, and a rule in my house is you don't throw a ball. But they throw the ball and they break a lamp. And after they break that lamp, uh, the lamp costs $50 to replace. That act of lamp breaking has now incurred a debt of $50. Now, I can take two, one of two roads. First road being I let my friend pay for the debt. They replace the lamp, he's out $50, the debt's gone. Or I can choose to forgive him for what he did. But when I choose to forgive, it doesn't mean the debt just simply vanishes into thin air. Okay, When I forgive him, I absorb the cost and the payment for the lamp. Okay, Either I will pay the $50 to replace it or I lose lighting in that room. Either way, when you forgive, you suffer. You have to give something up. It's not easy. Every debt is paid. No debt goes unpaid. And no debt is forgiven without suffering. When we ask God for the forgiveness of our debts, ultimately what we need to realize we're asking for is that God would pay the debt we've accumulated, that God would voluntarily suffer the consequence that we deserve. We are asking for God to suffer. It is a very hard thing, a very huge thing to ask for, yet we ask for it frequently and almost ask for it flippantly sometimes. It's no small task. When we ask God to forgive us our debt, we're not just asking to be excused, our actions be forgotten, or be tolerated. We're asking for an undeserved clearance of our wrongdoings. Once again, scandalous request, but we often pray it. Moving forward, uh, th- the last phrase in this petition actually requires us to change our language from what we're asking for to what are we proclaiming, acknowledging, or, or better yet, promising or committing to. Remember, this is the only part of the prayer that assumes an action on our part before we make the petition. Okay, So the last part is, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Two things I want us to pay really close attention to. Notice that when we ask God to forgive us here, uh, when we are asking Him— w- when we ask God to forgive us, we're asking him to forgive the action. God, forgive us the thing that we have done. Uh, but when God focuses the attention on us, he tells us that we need to forgive our debtors, not the debt. Now, the reality is, is that God loves us. He doesn't hold a personal grudge against you or I. Our actions break his heart, but we are his creation, whom he dearly loves. And Paul even says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Us, on the other hand, on the other hand, we have a hard time not with the action, but with the person. Okay, it, it is much harder for a perfect example. We, we, we're going home and and someone cuts us off uh, and maybe gives us an unfavorable finger. We say, oh, you know what, forg- I forgive him. God bless you. If a f- deep friend does that to us or a personal, uh, a family member, we're much more hurt by that. And to further illustrate this, for some of you that uh, may not know, unfortunately when I was 18 years old, my dad was murdered. And I got the really cool opportunity a year and a half after his debt to forgive the man that killed him. got to look him face to face in the eye and say, I love you, Jesus loves you, and I hope one day you find Christ. A- and I got to really forgive him. And I can stand before you today 100% confident that I have forgiven this man. There's no bitter feelings I have. I genuinely hope good things for him. And it's only through the power of Christ that I was able to do that. But you see, I also have a mom. <laughs> And sometimes my mom likes alcohol just a little too much. And and sometimes the things that my mom does when she's under the influence of alcohol really hurts me. The things she says, the things that she does, it breaks my heart. And although my mom has never done anything quite like killing my dad, in fact, she, she cared for me when I was an infant. She gave me food, shelter. I have a much harder time forgiving my mom than I do the guy that killed my dad. The reason being is I have to continue in relationship with my mom. It's much harder for us to forgive the person committing the sin because we have to continue in relationship with them. And because we are not God, we don't possess the natural capacity to forgive people. And this is why we pray as we have forgiven our debtors, the person who's accumulated the debt, not just the debt. Second thing we have to recognize is that when we ask to be forgiven, uh, God, we assume that God will just forgive us. However, when the focus is on us, it says, as we have also forgiven. It's past tense language. What Jesus is saying is what we've affirmed earlier. This is not just a buffet table. You don't just get to pick up your plate, put a bunch of food on it, and eat. This is a potluck. If you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. If you want to eat, you have to contribute. Dale Bruner writes, we cannot honorably try to be on speaking terms with God the Father where we have not sincerely sought to be on speaking terms with some problematic other. We don't just get to receive forgiveness. It has to be received and then given freely. It's not a one-way door. It's a swinging door. It's not a buffet. It's a potluck. All right, second part, we'll make this quick. Why do we need to pray this? First and foremost, we're guilty. We are sinners who need forgiveness. Open, shut case. God has laid out his law. He's laid out his commandments. He's laid out his preferred way of life for us. And we break that willingly all the time. We disobey him willingly every day. And without his forgiveness, we cannot be in relationship with him because he is holy. He is set apart. We need to pray this because we are guilty. And without it, we cannot be back in relationship with God. Forgiveness of our debts, forgiveness of our sins is the only way we can ever be in relationship with God again. And I also want to affirm that the reason we need to pray this is so that we can remind ourselves that without Christ's ultimate act of forgiveness on the cross, that we don't even deserve to freely ask for forgiveness in the first place. When we pray this prayer, what we're saying is, God, we are guilty. And it is only Jesus who can make us clean again. We have to realize that we have a deep and profound need for forgiveness. And that is why we need to pray this, because we are guilty. We simply need God's forgiveness. (coughs) And lastly, and and we're going to close with this, uh, but this is where we're going to return to this idea of choosing the universe you live in. Uh, To pray this prayer, it's a dangerous thing. Uh, If we ask the Lord to forgive us our outrageous debt and then choose to reject extending forgiveness to our own debtors, we condemn ourselves to a universe ultimately governed by law. If we choose unforgiveness, if we choose law, and if we choose the world of law, that is ultimately what God gives us. And I want to save you the trouble. None of us will like the result if we have to be accountable to the universe governed by law. Uh, In that world, we deserve and we receive and we've already read Jesus' stern warning about living in a world that's governed by law. He says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. A- and I don't want to suggest, l- let me take a second here to say, I don't want to suggest that if you leave this place and God forbid one of you were to die, it doesn't mean that if you die with unforgiveness in your heart, that, that you are incapable of being forgiven. I think what this warning is trying to say is that for the person that says, I don't care who it is, I don't care what they've done, I don't care how God can help me, I am not going to forgive that person. Um, that is the kind of person that Jesus is warning here. But if, if we commit ourselves to saying, you know what, I, I know I can't do it, but with God's power I can, uh, we are always capable. We're always uh, God is always willing and able to give us forgiveness. That's why we need to commit ourselves to a universe governed by grace. That's why we need to pray this prayer to remind ourselves how desperately we need grace in every area of our life. To accept forgiveness means that we commit ourselves to being forgiving people, even when they don't deserve it, even if they haven't asked for it. We voluntarily suffer like Jesus did. We voluntarily walk in the footsteps of our master. When we receive and give grace, our universe is one that is now governed by grace. If we choose the world of grace, that is what God will give us. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We ultimately see that, that forgiveness, it's incapable of being a one-way street. It's not a buffet, it's a potluck. You can't have it one way. Forgiveness goes through the swinging doors. And, and as we close, I want to give leave you with one more illustration. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, he, he did the, the the famous painting, The Last Supper. And, and one of the cool things that happened as he was painting this was uh, da Vinci got in a rather violent quarrel with one of his fellow painters in the area. And as he sat down to, to finally paint The Last Supper, what he decided to do was he was going to really stick it to this guy. Uh, and he was going to uh, paint the, the the Judas Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed Jesus. He was going to make his enemy's face the face of Judas. So that when people looked at the Last Supper throughout history, he would live in infamy. And people would be reminded of his enemy when they thought about the one that betrayed Jesus. So it was the first face that he painted, and he painted it clearly. And as people came and saw, they, they recognized the face. And they said, man, Da Vinci's really upset something interesting happened is that when da Vinci came to painting the face of Christ, he couldn't do it. He got what he called a painter's block. He could not do it. He tried everything in his power. He took time away. He slept. He started other paintings, but he could not clearly see the face of Christ. And it was only when he decided to take whatever it is painters take to erase the face of his enemy that he could clearly see Christ's face. As soon as he erased his enemy's face, all of a sudden... Christ just became so clear to him. And the coolest part about this story is, is when you look at the rest of the painting, uh, the only face that you can't clearly see is Judas Iscariot. It's a side profile. You can't see the one that betrayed him. You can't see the enemy. And, and Da Vinci, what he came to, and what he concluded in this, uh, and what he came to say was that you cannot at one and the same time be painting the features of Christ into your own life and painting another face with the colors of enmity and hatred. We cannot at one and the same time be painting the features of Christ into our life. We cannot just accept his forgiveness while painting other faces with the colors of our enmity, our hatred, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. Jesus gives us the option of which, word w- of which world we will choose. If we choose the world of law, unfortunately, that is what God will give us. But if we choose the world of grace, praise be to God that that is what he will always give us. And friends, I don't know about you, But I desperately need daily grace. So the question for all of you as we leave this place is, which will you choose? And my heartfelt and most sincere encouragement would be to run after and daily pursue grace because it's only there that we find the abundant life that Jesus offers us. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us to pray. Father, would you... uh, would you give us the perspective that we need, God, that that you are what we need most? God, would you give us our daily bread? But God, would you teach us to forgive others as we have been forgiven? God, would we be able to freely extend grace as we receive it from you? And God, would we always be choosing the universe of grace, um, God, because we need it so desperately? Uh, God, bless us as we leave this place. Uh, Let us feel your grace and let us freely give it to others as we come in contact with them. In your name we pray.